You're listening to Too Much Content, the podcast that helps you decide what is worth watching and what isn't. Now here's your hosts, Andrew, Michael, and Matt. Hey everybody, you're listening to Too Much Content. There's thousands of TV channels and streaming services out there and just way too much content. So each week, me and my co-hosts watch all the new premieres and tell you what's worth watching and what isn't. I, of course, am Andrew Blazer, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Matt Helm. Matt, how you doing? Uh, what's up, gang? I am proud to introduce a very special guest. Uh, I want to introduce my friend. His name, Arwong. The first show we watched was Will on TNT. Young William Shakespeare is a struggling playwright who tires of making gloves in order to support his wife and three children. He travels to London and sells one of his plays to a theater owned by James Burbage. In doing so, he befriends the rest of the company, pushes out the previous playwright, and falls in love with Burbage's daughter Alice. As he seeks fame and fortune in London, he finds that he is saddled with saving a dying theater company and finding a place in a city that is hostile to his Catholic religion. Guys, what did you think of Will? This show made me feel weird. In what way? Uh, emotionally distressed. It started off making it seem like it was going to be like a serious dramatic show about uh, William Shakespeare in some way. And then it seems to just kind of go off the rails like right away. And I enjoyed it. I would agree with you that there was a weird introduction to the show because the first scene is like a very, very serious moment with him and his wife and his three children are in the room sleeping and they're talking about how, oh, I want to be a playwright, but nobody's going to want to buy a play from William Shakespeare. And it's a very dramatic like exchange between them. And he like goes to kiss her at the end and she pulls away. It's like, it was very dramatic. And then all of a sudden it cuts to London Calling. Not that song. That's kind of like what it was. No, it was London Calling. It was like a punk rock song. Yeah, whatever. Anyways, smash cut to London calling all of a sudden and it was such a weird transition we all like looked at each other it was bizarre but I disagree with you I don't think it went off the rails at all I was surprised by this show I thought it was gonna be like um what was that show we watched uh oh still Starcrossed, the one that was like the continuation of Romeo and Juliet I thought it was gonna be like that I don't think I was there for that week oh consider you got- yourself lucky I thought it was going to be like that when I was going into it. I ended up, like, loving this show. Uh, The the transition was weird in the beginning, but as soon as you got, like, introduced to that concept, that it was, like, like punk rock music sometimes in this old, like... We couldn't nail it down. We thought maybe, like, 16th century setting. But as soon as you, like, figured that out, from there forward, I loved the show. Like, I didn't think it went off the rails, like you said. I thought all of the, like, the plot made sense, logically. I, I'm not I'm not saying that it didn't make sense and that it wasn't an enjoyable show. I'm just saying that it, it got very interesting and weird for me. It, it felt weird enjoying it so much because it seemingly tricked me. It deceived me. It behooved me. This show single-handedly behooved me. I don't think you know what that word means. <laughs> uh, I no longer have hooves. I found it to be very much just um, sort of like an art punk like variation on like William Shakespeare. And um, I thought it was very uh, interesting, just kind of like, you know, thespians with an attitude, you know, with edgy, you know, bravado and stuff like that. You know, theater at CBGB's kind of thing. Well, and like (laughs) that is perfect. And to go with that, like pretty much my favorite character, one of my favorite characters 
was one of the actors who was like so full of himself and had so much bravado, like you were saying. Uh, I don't remember his name, but he was like, he played the prince in Shakespeare's like play, and he was like a big over actor that they called the carpenter because he was like such a hack. I think was the joke. I missed the joke for why they were calling him the carpenter. It might have been because he was a hack. It, it might have been for some other reason. I missed that, but he was I'm not ju- an actor. He was just like a notorious over actor. But I thought he was awesome. He had like a leopard print leather jacket. It was like a leather jacket with lapels that were leopard print. It was amazing. Like an Elvis Presley type haircut, longer Fonz top. Like a pompadour. Yeah. I don't know. And it was amazing. Like, that's just one example of like it not 100% making sense in the time period. Like, why would he have that leather jacket? Like... It doesn't really work that that style would be in fashion. But there were also other moments that I thought, like, the costumes were fantastic. Like, the street urchin people all looked like they had... Very dirty. They all looked like they had found random garments and worn them, and they were, like, tattered and falling apart. I thought they did a great job of, like, making London look chaotic when he first got there. Like it, it certainly was chaotic, everything that I saw. When we had that smash transition from him with his family to him arriving in London trying to be a playwright, it's like everything is shot super tight, and he's milling like through a crowd of people, and it's just like everywhere he looks, there's some insane thing happening, and a little dirty urchin boy is like yelling at him, trying to like con him. I thought they did a really, really good job of making you feel like making you feel like Shakespeare, like a farm boy coming to the city and just being absolutely overwhelmed. And then, and that's exactly how I felt. I felt overwhelmed, and it went from a, such a serious tone to such a, I don't know, high tone, very high impact, high paced environment, and it scared me. <laughs> <laughs> See, I really enjoyed the way they um, used the color in terms of like imagery mm-hmm. and portraying the color. setting and... That and the costumes, and that's for opening market scene. I think that was maybe like maybe 10 or so, 10, 15 minutes into the show. Mm -hmm. And um, I thought that was a really great way of like depicting mood and emotion at that time, you know, and stuff like that, kind of alluding to what you were saying earlier. You saw a different lot lot of different wakes of life in that time period and how they might have behaved. Like, that's the thing is like the accuracy of everything is a little wishy washy. But as far as a show is concerned and characters being created and having each having their own kind of different personality traits it is very appealing as far as characters are concerned there's a lot of different people that have and show different emotion everyone's not a bunch of robots well and and right when we were like introduced to london and the craziness and uh kind of some of the the chaos of the streets then all of a sudden like the little street urchin boy leads william shakespeare into like a town square where someone is being publicly like torn open and his intestines are being pulled out and it was super gory and all of a sudden i was it came out of nowhere you were were really put off by that oh i hate that stuff dude i don't want to see that like i mean dude i thought pretty intense for a tnt show i found pretty yeah and like i don't like looking at like intestines being pulled out and that kind of stuff but like I can get over that if I like the show enough and I did like this show. So like that being a part of it is fine with me because it sets up that these like Protestant people are like hunting down all Catholics and doing public like 
mutilations of them and stuff. Like, it's, and th- <laughs> it works within the universe of the show. Yeah, there's really. But me personally, really I don't want to like look right at it. <laughs> there is a very interesting because like it starts out serious. He's leaving his family, wife, three kids, goes off. It's all happy-go-lucky, him having a, a rambunctious time uh, getting to the city. And then all of a sudden you get all these like undertones of like church and murder and like gets like kind of serious. Well, and he had like a flashback where I think his uncle was like executed by I thought, Protestants. I thought it was his dad. I thought it was his uncle. Uh, it might have been his dad. I, I, I didn't know for sure. I feel like I wrote it down. It know. was some father figure in his life. A man. An older man. Then... Shakespeare like gets to the theater. I said it in the intro, the guy who owns the theater is named James Burbage. And not only does he own the theater, he also like acts in all the plays. Like he played King Henry in the play that Shakespeare wrote. And the actor who plays him is Cole Meany, who played Miles O'Brien on Star Trek The Next Generation. Oh boy. So of course we had to watch this show as soon as I found <laughs> out that he was in it. And he was fantastic. He was, like, so grumpy, and, like, when Shakespeare came to him with a play, like, we knew that he was desperate to have a play to, like, keep his theater afloat, and when Shakespeare comes to him with a play just kind of out of the blue to save the day, he, like, reads it, and he won't admit that, like, Shakespeare's saving the day, you know? Because, like, I own the theater. I'm the one who does everything. He's So he reads the play, and he goes, it's shit. But we can make something out of it. Like, I loved that guy. He was fantastic. That goes to show, like, I think every major character that the show had, whether or not, like, whether or not I like the character themselves is questionable for some. But all the acting and the portrayal of the characters themselves was fantastic. I, I thought everybody did a pretty great job. Let's talk about the 16th century rap battle. Uh, <laughs> William Shakespeare and his actor friends go out to the local tavern i assume i don't know i'm not entirely sure what that location was it's the theater right (laughs) and he's hanging out and all of a sudden like a rival writer he must have been a writer or an actor or something comes up and starts razzing him and he's like oh you're new to this city what makes you think you can be one of us yada 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 and he was very like flamboyant and over the top and like just like trying to start shit with william shakespeare basically and he's like Everybody's trying to get them to do a duel. It's like, oh, we're going to duel. And Shakespeare is very reluctant. He says, no, I'm not dueling anybody. I don't know what this is. But his friends put him up to it. And it's essentially a rap battle. But they have to do like like iambic pentameter back and forth at each other. So they're like, it's like a poem battle. I don't know, like how any other way to describe it. And the whole crowd is loving it. For and they're just reason, like, it reminded me of the, uh, the Zoolander the the, da- the break dance off just because it's like i can't believe that this is happening Mo- <laughs> it's over the top judged moderated by the uh the late uh great uh mr bowie that being said <laughs> as much as i thought the premise was kind of weird i did love that scene <laughs> they did come they did come back and forth at each other <laughs> with some good lines it was pretty witty i want to talk quick about my favorite part of the show was the twist at the end the whole episode were led to believe okay so I mentioned the street urchin kid meets Shakespeare when he first comes into London. And then he tries to, like, steal from him. Well, he does successfully steal a letter from him. And he, like, slices Shakespeare on the hand. And he takes the letter to the Protestants as, like, proof that Shakespeare's Catholic. So the Protestants are out to get Shakespeare. 
and uh, they send like their famous writer who's in the Protestants pocket to like go and find out who this person is, like who Shakespeare is essentially. And he finds him, but then he sees Shakespeare's play and like hears his writing and like starts like takes a liking to him. And at the last second slices the old playwriter's hand and like sacrifices him to the Protestants instead and like saves Shakespeare's life. Never saw that coming. That was like what sealed it for me that I liked this show. I was like, oh my God, I never thought that that like sketchy looking writer who was working for the Protestants was ever going to like help Shakespeare. I never saw that coming. Got me. Fooled me. Didn't see that coming. And I'm just interested to see like, is he going to hang this over Shakespeare's head? Because at any moment he could change his mind. Like It's surprising how vested I am in the story and what's happening already. Because typically something like this just would not like get my attention too much. Well, actually, I didn't expect it to turn into something that grabbed my attention. And it has the things that has good story writing elements and character development. And Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the, uh, the plot thickens and develops on that one. Let's get down to the ratings. Like we mentioned one of the best characters in this show was one of the actors who was wearing an awesome leather jacket that had leopard print lapels. And I don't care what century this show's set in. That's cool. No matter where you are, no matter when you are. So we're rating this one on a scale of one to five leopard print leather jackets. It had ups and downs. It had interesting background stories that provided drama, but it had prominent like involving activities in the now with building these different characters that all have their own kind of agendas and personalities that got way more involving than I thought. The show really surprised me. Uh, I liked everything that was going on as far as the uh, the punk rock music and um, the settings and the actors that were chosen as to play these characters. I'm going to give Will four leopard nice. print leather jackets out of five it was strangely enjoyable and when something does that i i give it the benefit of the doubt because i honestly expected trash and i did not get trash i got enjoyable entertainment with a story that i'm invested in for some crazy reason i don't know i'm have to go with uh two two out of five um was not the biggest fan of um i felt like it was a little uh a little forced and um I felt like the desire to force this brand and brand and uh, the style of punk and trying to force it pretty much on this uh, whole story of Shakespeare. Um, I felt like it, the story ended up coming out a little uh, a little constipated, and um, it just uh, it just it really messed with the flow of the entire uh, show. I felt and I know that I know that is the prime component of the show is is that, but. Um, yeah, it just um, it it, it didn't really impress me at all. So, um, I feel like the jury's still out to an extent. With that being said, I feel like there's still a chance for it to uh, develop into a good show. But um, just based on first impressions off the first episode, um, I'm gonna have to be on the little bit more uh, cautious and skeptical side. I really didn't think I was gonna like this show going into it. Tell me about it. But I feel like the quote unquote punk rock aspects of it were so like minimal that I like actually was able to get into the story. And I liked the guy playing Shakespeare. I liked that actor. He was engaging. And like I said, I loved the owner, uh, Burbage. There were a lot of actors actually I liked in this. There was one part where, uh, 
they confirm like okay we're gonna do shakespeare's play and one of the actors is like not too many words like i thought that was great uh oh and we didn't even talk about one of the actors who like always played the most outrageous parts and was having sex with someone backstage when he was supposed to be out like delivering lines yeah i just found this show so much more enjoyable than i thought i was going to I can't believe this, but I'm giving it four out of five leopard print leather jackets. Oh, wow. And my new goal in life is to get a jacket like that so I could wear it every day. The next show we watched was Loaded on AMC. This series, which originally aired on Channel 4 in the UK, follows a group of four lifelong friends and tech entrepreneurs who have just sold their video game startup for 300 million pounds. However, while they have grown up in each other's pockets, those pockets are now lined with gold. And suddenly, loyalties are being tested and fault lines are opening up. Loaded is about male friendship, ambition, greed, the peculiarly British distaste for other people's success, and what happens when you've got 14 and a half million pounds in the bank, but the cash machine has a 300 pound daily limit? Guys, what did you think of Loaded? Loaded was all right. One thing that I liked about this show is like it centers on the four friends and the four friends are very different. Like the one friend, Leon, is like super dumb with his money and wants to spend it. He's very just like emotional and like acts on impulse and then... I feel like the guy that we almost followed the most was like very neurotic and was like, even though they just sold the company for a bunch of money, he was still just like focused on working and working and working and couldn't like enjoy anything. And then Watto was like the one who had drug problems and was like insane potentially and was like a liability to the company. And then we had another guy who was like, crazy reserved and nobody even knew he was like a founder of the company and he was never on any of the magazine covers like they all had kind of like their own unique personalities and it worked all of them together it wasn't like they overlapped too much you know what i mean it was a solid solid gang of of individuals uh they had different personalities and different uh lifestyle priorities our introduction to the show was great because the first scene, we don't know what's going on at all. We just have a shot of our character that we found out was like, couldn't have fun, basically. Uh, he's sitting alone, just like checking his bank account on his phone over and over again and like drinking some kind of drink. We assumed it was like pe like a Pepto-Bismol type drink, but we didn't recognize the bottle. I'm sure it's some... British product that like relieves stomach distress. I don't know, but he just seems so, so stressed out. And every time he called to check his bank account, it was like, your bank account is 300 pounds withdrawn. And then all of a sudden, one time when he calls, it says the balance of your account is 14 million pounds. And it, that was our introduction to the show. It was just, all it, right. It, it, like this, these guys lives just changed overnight. Uh, and that kind of just like set the wheels in motion going forward. Like these people went from having nothing to suddenly being rich. Let's see what they do with their money. Essentially is this show. The rich dude did have a little bit where he fills a bubble bath with Dom Perignon, uh, bubbly champagne. And it's, 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 it's funny taking him, taking a bath in that. That's, you know, it's a funny joke, but I don't know. There's no, uh, I, I wasn't, uh, I can't say I was gut busting this whole, uh, this whole time. I mean, the jokes landed, you know. Yeah, like there, there, like 
that's the thing is like nothing was necessarily bad i don't think there was it was it was bad writing or anything i you know it, it was just a, a very average entertaining experience as far as uh as, as i was concerned one of my favorite parts was um the guy who no one knows he's the founder like there's a moment where he's at the office and he's talking to this girl and she she worked with him and she was like oh, why were you standing up front with all the founders when they were giving that presentation? And he's like, I I mean, (laughs) I'm one of the four (laughs) co-founders. And she had no idea. And she's like, oh my God, so you're rich. You're a millionaire. He's like, yeah, yeah, I am. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he just blurts out 18,000. She's like, what? I want to give you a bonus of 18,000 pounds. And then later, it turns out she had like talked to another coworker of hers about it because she was like, I assumed everybody was getting that bonus because I've only been working here for two months. So why would I get that bonus? And it leads to a scene where he's standing in a room and saying to people, I want to give you 18,000 pounds. And as soon as he says that, someone else is walking up behind him. Oh, Kathy, I want to give you 18,000 pounds until finally he has given everyone in the office 18,000 pounds, including the uh, food delivery caterer woman. The DoorDash lady. The Sarni lady. The Sarnies. I loved that scene. Like, he has already dug himself this hole, and all of a sudden he sees the sandwich delivery girl, and he's like, what the hell? I want to give you 18,000 pounds. I loved that. And then uh, my other probably favorite part of the show was kind of what we ended on. Well, I I guess it wasn't the ending. It was close to the ending. Watto, our character who has the uh, past drug problem, he's stressing out about this legal matter. Because he he might have screwed the company by, like, basing the idea for the Cat Factory logo on this guy's tattoo. So he's stressing about that. And he's talking to this girl who works for the company. And she's like, yeah, you should just go to the pub, you know, and just get drunk and blow it off. And he's like, no, I don't think I should do that because I have a past drug issue. You know, I'll I'll drink seven beers, you know. And she's like, no, no, you should just go do it. Like, shoot. I didn't get why she was so, like... Didn't she hear him say that? Oblivious. Like, why was she so oblivious to that? <laughs> but I guess that's kind of her character. But... So then she's like, oh, yeah, what? I just told him to go to the pub and get drunk. Why? Is that bad? So, like, they f- they fly out and try to find him. And turns out he's sitting in his, like, boat down on the river. And he tells them this whole story. And it's shot very tight so you don't see what's in his boat. And he's like, oh, I just went into the store... Uh, and I saw these Birkenstocks and I just lost it. And I was like, I want all the Birkenstocks in this store. I want every single one, every size. And it like the camera pulls out and the boat, aside from them standing there, the boat is filled with boxes of shoes. And I don't know, like even me talking about it, it doesn't really make sense. But in the moment, it was really funny. <laughs> I don't know that. I guess I just kind of like the guy who plays Watto. I think that's more what I liked about it. I kind of just got drawn into him telling the story and then the reveal when it pulls out and it's just a bunch of shoeboxes. Like, I guess I just kind of liked the characters more the than characters I liked were fun anything and- like the plot even that much. I just kind of liked the four friends and I wouldn't mind seeing the four friends continue to interact with each other. I don't know. I, you could kind of see where Leon wants everybody to live in the house still. He doesn't want anything to change, even though he's super rich now and is blowing all his money. Like, I don't know, you can kind of see where the cracks are going to come in in their friendship, but I like these characters. They kind of drew me in. I'm, like, neutral on that. I 
I like the characters. I, I don't want to say I got drawn in necessarily. I, I think I... Which is strange because I thought I was going to reading the descriptions of the shows. I thought I was going to like Loaded more than say I liked Will even, but um, I can't, I'd agree with I that. Can't, I can't even go that far. Um, I was I guess I was a little bit more I expected more from this show. I expected to be more funny, and I guess I just didn't get as many laughs as I I thought I was going to, and it led me a little bit more disappointed. And it just reflects on my enjoyment of the show. Unfortunately, well, I felt like part of the issue was not you know like how many laughs, but like did the like how well did the last land which i felt was a you know a huge you know a huge gap in that because there's like many good one-liners but you know the the, dr- the hilarious like jokes uh like there. the drawn out joke of of the the eighteen thousand uh pounds like it was funny it's a funny thing through and through it's just it doesn't hit very hard so it's just kind of like a good a good giggle for a while and then you just kind of giggle the whole whole time it's the same punchline but just multiple times and then, like, the payoff isn't as high. I don't know. It's just a... Uh, I don't know. I, I I mean, you're you're entitled to your opinion, but I love that bit. It was just kind of dry humor. Oh, yeah. And, like, and that guy, you, you could see, like, this guy is so non-confrontational, and now he's being put in this situation where he, like, is so eager to please everyone that he just feels obligated to do this. Like, I don't know. I like that scene a lot. Let's get down to the ratings. Like I mentioned, one of my favorite parts of the show was when Watto uh, just kind of lost it. And everyone thought he was going to go on a drug bender and they were going to find him like having overdosed. I think one of the characters said, do you see just feet? Usually if you just see feet, that's bad. And we find out that he lost it, not by doing drugs, but by buying all of the Birkenstocks in an entire store. So we're rating this one on a scale from one to five Birkenstocks. I felt like Loaded, you know, had started off having a lot of potential going into it. You know, maybe something that could be different, you know, on, um, you know, the, the dramedy sort of comic path um, for these sorts of um, shows. I'm have to get, so is it pairs of Birkenstocks or just Birkenstocks? Just Birkenstocks. Just Birkenstocks. Okay. Um, I'm going to have to give it uh, a one. Uh, Ooh. I just, I wasn't, you know, super pleased with the fact that I feel like it didn't really, like, uh, push the limit. I feel like it was a very, you know, high floor, you know, low ceiling type of show. And especially since, you know, many other shows have uh, sort of emulated and sort of walked this path already. So, I um, mean, you know, without, you know, pushing the, um, pushing the limits, uh, or not the limits, but, you know, like, thinking outside the box, I'm going to have to give it, uh, keep it a low rating until um, that, that improves. Arwan got to the point pretty quick, and I can't disagree with a lot of what was said there. I uh, I think I already I'm going to reiterate a lot of things. Is basically a show that brings nothing new to the table, um, and working with just you know uh, direct comedy uh, situations, uh, general just kind of dry to lighthearted humor. It didn't. It didn't grab me. It didn't move me in ways that uh, I was kind of actually expecting to be moved. Um, so, the the actors did great jobs portraying the characters. I kind of like the characters, but the story in itself is generic. It can go places, but it didn't draw me in anything serious. And, um, you know, uh, who knows if it continues to evolve into something more? But at its current state, uh, a modest three Birkenstocks out of five. I like the characters of this show, and I like kind of the idea of the show, but 
when I watched the show itself, I didn't like have like a huge level of enjoyment, I would say necessarily. Like there were moments that I liked and just all in all, like I kind of liked each of the four friends in their like distinct personalities. And I could see where maybe like if the plot really got interesting and if their like group of friends really got fractured that I would like it a lot. But I would just say that I kind of just liked it. You know what I mean? I didn't necessarily love it. So I would give it three out of five Birkenstocks. Next up, we have A Night With My Ex on Bravo. What would you do if you had the chance to spend an entire night with your ex? Bravo is bringing together ex-couples for one night to hash out their unresolved issues in the new series A Night With My Ex. Over the course of ten self-contained episodes, each pair of exes will spend a night together in a multi-camera rigged one-bedroom apartment with no producers and no interruptions. Viewers will witness startling confessions, wild hookups, and shocking resolutions in a format where anything can and does happen. Guys, what'd you think of A Night With My Ex? Bravo, you've outdone yourself. You have single-handedly created the uh, the most, I feel like, amusing show we've watched from Bravo. No, 100% disagree. Oh, whoa, I really had a great time. I had an awful time. That's how you know you had a good time with a Bravo show. I 100% disagree. <laughs> I, I like self-destruction and and uh, and deformation um, in uh, in my Bravo. Well, let me tell you. Shows. Let me tell you the quote I wrote down that perfectly encapsulates my thoughts. I thought this would be funny, but it was so dark. It was so depressing. That's what made it hilarious. This is <sighs> this is my Bravo, Joan, uh, Joan Jones. See, like, it, I loved Invite Only Cabo so much more because it was so much more fun. There was not. There was no host. There was no. There were no like relationship counselors or psychologists. It was genuinely just the cameras and these people. We were just Wi-Fi cameras them. that could pin and zoom and rotate and stuff. Set up in this one-bedroom apartment where we have uh, Fabian from LA. He's thirty-one and cheated on his girl ex-girlfriend Rachel, twenty-eight of Farmington, Minnesota, nonetheless. And boy, howdy, do these two not belong to, together or uh, I think they're both insane. They definitely don't belong together, but it was insane. Like the show started, there was no intro. There was no like title card. There was no like anyone telling us the premise of the show. All of a sudden we were just in it. All of a sudden Fabian is there and he's it's talking to the camera. 3.34 p.m. And that's when it, this date starts, and he's putting Chinese food that he ordered from somewhere on plates for their, like, date, dinner, lunch, whatever. It's and like, it, I wrote down so much for this show. So, I took so many notes because so much was happening. My first thought was, why would anyone agree to do this? Why? Money. I could only imagine that they were getting paid because... Oh, of course. At multiple times during the show, I thought... Why wouldn't she just leave? Why would she stay the whole night? Because she signed paperwork that made her money. And that's how she can't say that. But she can't say that, no. Fabian, like you mentioned, Matt Helm, cheated on Rachel because Rachel was saving herself for marriage. Still a virgin. And Fabian never said he was sorry. He said, in, he said it in this episode, but he even said in this episode, I never told you I was sorry. And he kept like qualifying it like he did say yes i'm sorry but then he kept making excuses like obviously i was sexually frustrated 
come on. I mean, uh, wouldn't, wouldn't you do the same if you were in my position? It was time to get laid. <laughs> quote. She was, actual quote, yes. I was at a party, and she was wearing a sexy Tinkerbell outfit. <laughs> it was time to get laid. <laughs> like, Fabian was clearly terrible. And I was wondering, why did why does Fabian want to get back with this girl so bad? She moved back to Minnesota. Like, what is the obsession? I don't understand. I feel like he's just doing it for the money. He seems clinically insane. But she shows up, and he comes up and says, gives her a hug, and says, Oh, I missed you so much, and starts rubbing her. Like, we're off to a great start right away. Rubbing her. And he says, God, you look even younger than the last time I saw you. It's that cold climate. Very weird I think and the, hilarious. The, the cold in Minnesota, it preserves you. If I'm this girl, I'm thinking, this was a mistake. Oh, 100%. Especially within two hours, like 5 p.m., we're already getting I love yous well, back from our Fabian love. He's already man. planning on marrying her. He had the oh, ring yeah, and he introduces us before, to the ring in before a she sunshine. Within five minutes of introducing himself to us. Yes. I'm going to ask her to marry me. What? You haven't seen her for a year, and now, <laughs> and you, you didn't apologize for cheating on her, and you're going to ask her to marry you. She might not have forgiven you yet. And like spoilers, <laughs> cut to the end of the episode. He proposes, and she says no. And we're all looking at each other like, "What did you think was going to happen?" We all knew from square one she was going to say no. So for a second, I just want to get away from just the two individuals that were actually the two characters, quote unquote, in this. How do you guys feel about the um, the show in itself, like the format and all, everything else about, like we oh, were discussing about earlier? Well, I know we this has on been it. a recurring trend on the podcast of these Bravo shows. Like we've gotten used to it. We've gotten we've gotten like numbed to the fact that these shows actually exist because every single time this comes up, there's a uh, moral outcry of uh, how do, can a show like this exist? Like who thinks that? Yeah, let's make this. This is good for society. I disagree though because. At least in those shows, we're getting, like, multiple locations and multiple characters and, like, set up fake drama. Like, at least there's something happening. This was... There was no hosts. There was no voiceover. It was just us watching these two argue at each other the whole time. It was so unpleasant. Like, it, I was on edge the whole time when I was watching it. Yeah, and I think what, I think what uh, <laughs> Arwong is getting at is... These are uh, moral, moral, uh, morally terrible existing pieces of content. People's opinions are, you know, their own opinions of, you know, what if this is, you know, gold or trash. Trash. But. (laughs) Oh, yeah. But is this something that's going to sell? I guess is my question. That was my main criterion in terms of. Whether or not you think this it's, is an official Arwan, model you bet, for you're a show. So, it's so cheap it to make. It's so cheap to make. It's they, like six they don't have to cams. pay a host. They don't have to. All they have to pay is an editor, somebody to like maybe operate the cameras. Do you think this show could survive? Ooh. I hope not. Uh, I hope I America's mean, I mean, smarter. Hope is everyone's personal opinion, but like, do you no, think I feel like a show like this is going to do great. I because at least in the short term, like it's a it's a terrible show, but I had a blast. I just don't know. I don't. I feel like part of the appeal of some of these Bravo shows is that you're tuning in every week and you get used to the same characters. And they said that each episode is going to be different couples, obviously. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's going to be as appealing. I don't know. I could be completely wrong. I feel like this Fabian, he was such a character. Like, whether or not, whatever was written, staged, whatever, whatever, if this is a true person and a human being that exists and did a show like this, 
this man is crazy. And they got him on camera doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Just to illustrate Fabian real quick. Within five minutes of each other, he says, I'm a different guy now. I'm a totally different guy now. I've changed. A, A lot can happen in a year. And then not five minutes later, he says, it's still me. I'm still the same Fabian. <laughs> Contradicting himself right away. So you already know that this dude is just going to say whatever he thinks she wants to hear, essentially. And right away, he uh, he wants to confirm if, if she was still a virgin. And when she says, yes, yes was... he says, oh, good. I was hoping you were still a virgin. Weird. Oof. Weird man. <laughs> Not something you really say. To anyone, really. She said that he tried to pressure her to do anything outside of having sex because she was wanted to wait till marriage. She said, he tried to pressure me to do anything, including butt stuff. And I said, what? <laughs> when she said butt stuff, I lost it. Fabian, really creepy. And that was my problem with Fabian is how creepy he was. They made it very. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, that's very clear and obvious. They made it very. I think we all had that problem. They made it very clear that she was incredibly upfront with the fact that she wanted to wait until marriage she was very very upfront and he said oh i thought that she was just messing around i thought eventually she would just forget about that and then (laughs) forget about that lifelong commitment and And then he like got mad that after four years they still hadn't had sex and then he cheated on her and it's like what what is your rationale for thinking you're a good guy fabian it was very clear and upfront from the beginning. The part when they're in in bed together, and then he, he <laughs> tries you. he tries to like somewhat like passive aggressive. I don't even say passive aggressive, like forcibly like, you know, tries to initiate you know some sort of you know hand, okay hand hand escapades. Yeah, hand I, I gotta, escapades. I uh, guess we can't tiptoe t- around it. I need to get right to it because we were watching. They go to sleep. They did not have a good night together. They go to sleep in the same bed because it's a one-bedroom apartment. Hilarious and, and weird. All of a sudden, we see something moving under the sheets in a rhythmic fashion. And I, we were like, oh, my God, what's happening? What's happening right now? And she deal, the, the Rachel details to us in a talking head that he took her hand and essentially uh, tried to make her give him a hand job. And it's just like, Fabian, what's wrong with you, dude? Like, she, she, she ends up denying his hand job uh, request. I feel like it was a, it was a very aggressive request. And uh, he turns around and gets all mopey and pouty and doesn't say anything else the whole night. He just does nothing. The fact that I saw that scene makes me so angry. It That's was, what I'm saying. This stupid. show sucked. I hated it. I love this show. <laughs> it's fucking stupid. Let's get down to the ratings. Like we mentioned... Fabian knew what he was getting into. Rachel made it very clear that she was waiting to have sex until she got married. And yet, Fabian pressured her (laughs) the entire time they were dating. And then on our show, in front of us, beneath a blanket, he tried to... In a live studio audience. (laughs) (laughs) That would have only made things better if this was a live studio audience of people behind like a glass plate. That would have been like a two-way mirror. That would have been amazing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he tried to coerce her into giving him a hand job on TV. Like he knew there were cameras on them. What a scumbag. No, dude, he was trying to give us a good show. So we're rating this one on a scale from one to five hand jobs. Uh, you make a show where you take a creepy dude um, and his request to have his ex on a show where he can confess his true love, which I'm not quite sure uh, true love exists in the uh, Fabian world because uh, this dude's a fucking nut job. 
the dude wants to have sex with her, so he uh, hides rings in uh, jars full of sunflower seeds. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but that's genuinely what it seemed like. It was like, okay, I'm going to propose to her, not that because we'll I ha- love her, but because, because I can finally want to have sex. I've put in four years worth of time. I finally want to have sex with her. That's what it felt like. His obsession with her virginity, um, his confession of love after a year's worth of not apologizing for uh, poor actions. Like, I really hope to God that nothing of this was necessarily staged. Like, this is the true story and their true reactions in a true environment. Like, if that is the case, these people are insane. And and bravo, you have done it again. Bravo. I enjoyed the show way, 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 way more than I should have. And just for the cringe factor, A Night With My Ex gets three oh my. full-blown hando jabos out of five hand jobs. Three out of five. Amazing. Personally, what, what do I feel about this show? I mean, I think it's... Morally outraged? <laughs> I just think it's... Uh, for lack of a better term, I would say uh, disappointing on 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 many many several levels on regarding many many variables. You need to watch uh, more for, Bravo for this show. Um, but with that being said, I'll make the earlier point and argument I made when we were discussing, which is I feel like it's this type of TV that creates a sustainable model for you know um, catering to sort of. Um, our, our guilty pleasures, so to say, you know, on a su- Tuesday or Sunday night, people just want to watch some trashy, you know, reality TV because we all know several of them exist out there. Not, no. I don't, I'm not including that, but I know they exist. So I will give it two of uh, two of these uh, mechanisms out of five. Hand jobs? Hand jobs? Yes. You can say hand jobs on television. I hated this show. God damn it. I'm just shocked that you said, Matt Helm, multiple times that you had fun watching this show because (laughs) I expected it to be funny. I expected it to be funny. Like, I thought maybe we would have a host. You didn't think this was funny? Absolutely not. I didn't think any moment in this was funny. Oh, like in a cynical sense, though. I thought it was depressing. Yeah, hilarious. No. I thought, like, usually, like, shows like Invite Only Cabo or, like, even Summer House... At least there's, like, some fun, crazy stuff going on. This was just two people airing their dirty laundry. It was dreadful. I'm sorry, I you, thought, had, I'm sorry you had such a terrible experience. I love watching these terrible shows now that we've done so many episodes. But this was <laughs> one of the absolute worst. I'm giving it zero out of five hand jabs. I absolutely hated watching this. I so, wouldn't recommend so that anybody watch that it. Fabian? Yeah, the amount that Fabian got, got in this episode. Zero. Why you, got, why you got to play my brother Fabian like that? The next show we watched was Ozark on Netflix. As well as directing half of the episodes, Jason Bateman stars as financial planner Marty Bird. Marty is sleepwalking through life in the Chicago suburbs. His kids are disinterested in him, and his wife, played by Laura Lenny, is plainly dissatisfied. However, after witnessing multiple murders, Marty suddenly relocates his family to a summer resort community in the Missouri Ozarks. There, in an effort to pay off a debt to a Mexican drug lord, he must launder $500 million in five years. Otherwise, everyone dies. Guys, what did you think of Ozark? Jason Bateman, you've done a uh, fantastic job on uh, directing and and producing uh, this this show. Um, I had no idea what to expect. I knew nothing of this show. I just saw that it was directed and starring Jason Bateman. And I was like, all right, I could get into this. And ended up getting much more vested in it than I even began to 
think I would have. I don't know. Yeah, I was kind of like, when I heard about the premise, I was like, oh, Jason Bateman in like a crime drug lord thriller? That kind of seems odd, but I'll, I'll go into it with an open mind. I didn't write any notes for a long time because I was just so drawn into this show. Like, I thought this show was great. Jason Bateman as our lead character was so good. Like, you can he really see... went all he really went all out on this this role. I feel like more so than I've seen in he's you know he's a lot a lot in a lot more comedy type movies and shows. Um, you know, be as dramatic as some of them are. Like, this is by far the most dramatic and serious role I think I've ever possibly seen him in. Quite frankly, I don't. And know. I thought he killed Agreed. it, and he did a great job. Yeah, I, I really loved his his role and his acting and everything he kind of did around it. There were kind of some some like uh, surreal moments in the show, like. Uh... For instance, there's one moment where Jason Bateman's character, like, he's upset because he has been watching a video of, like, his wife cheating on him, and he, like, is sexually frustrated and everything. So he goes down to, like, a street where there are a bunch of prostitutes, and there's this whole thing where, like, a prostitute gets in his car and is talking to him, uh, like propositioning him for And then sex. starts getting really into his personal life and knowing details that you know she wouldn't necessarily know by any means. Right, and those things are sticking out to you. Like, why would she know that? How does she know these details? And then all of a sudden it cuts like to another angle and she has she doesn't exist. She has not been there the whole time. Like, but we do were... find out that Jason was, was jerking it in his vehicle <laughs> by himself, though. But Very ja- interesting. But that like just kind of gives you a look into his character, like... Even the idea of doing something like this is enough of a thrill for him because he is so he is like just like I said in the intro, he's just sleepwalking through life. Like any amount of thrill is like out of the ordinary, essentially. Yeah, this the way I saw this, I felt like it was uh, one of your, you know, a classic, you know, modern narrative, you know, sort of like dark crime thriller like of our times. I think, you know, like Bloodline, Dexter, shows like this, um, you know, Jason Bateman, you know, I thought that, you know, he's a. Uh, you know, sort of like a Frank Underwood, Walter White, like hybrid. I don't know. Did you guys oh, yeah. see something similar to that? Well, I I just don't think he's definitely not very like charismatic at all. You know, like he's he seems like he almost doesn't give a shit a lot of the time. You know what I mean? Like the only time he really shows emotion is like when he's about to when he thinks he's about to die. And then at the very end of the episode, when he like pulls the car over to the side of the road and hides behind a tree to cry. Like, other than that, he seems, like, so aloof most of the time that it's, like, kind of hard to compare him to somebody else. You know what I mean? I'm curious. I'm, I'm very interested to see the character development as far as he is concerned because, you know, there's you know, there's a lot going on in that, uh, that head there, but he keeps it all in. And then at the very end, like you said, we see him kind of break down. And I think that's, like, the first time you see his, like, kind of true color of the experience because he knows... He knows he can't launder $500 million in five years. He was saying a bunch of bullshit to basically protect himself, his family, as all of his business associates that were the true money launders, I'm assuming, were actually all killed and shit because they were deceiving this, uh, the second largest mob, mafia, uh, crime mob. Drug cartel. Drug cartel. Mexico. Mexico. There we go. But yeah, like Marty clearly is in over his head immediately. (laughs) I don't know. It it all kind of felt real in a sense. Like it didn't seem too terribly fictional and that's and that's what i think i found i think we could all say we related most to with like a show like say breaking bad or what was the other example that we're talking about uh bloodline on netflix i've never seen that but possibly that show as well where 
you can relate to the main character so much in the fact that they're trying to take the most human approach and real approach to a situation that they found themselves into, even though it's not necessarily like a, a good one. They're trying to do the most good they can in a bad situation. I don't know. Something along those lines. I thought our villain was super captivating. I, he I was thought cool. our villain was awesome. This drug lord, drug cartel lord or whatever. Like, we're introduced to Jason Bateman's character. We know nothing about a drug cartel or any crime whatsoever. And then all of a sudden, Jason Bateman's, like, business partner calls him. And he's like, hey, you got to come over to this building. And then he shows up and all of, like, his business associates and the drug dealer and, like, his backup are all there. And he's, like, super intimidating. And Jason Bateman's, like, trying to call his bluff because he clearly doesn't know, like, who he's dealing with. And the guy just pulls out his gun and starts firing into a bathroom and kills this woman that we later find out was essentially on a hunch. Like, he didn't know that these people were stealing from him, but he comes in and he's like, I know you guys have been stealing from me. Who? Somebody talk. Somebody talk. And then to get them to talk, he just kills this woman. And he he admitted that he had no idea that they were actually stealing from him. But they were. And you can just tell this guy has no qualms about killing anybody. He kills all of his business associates. And he, like, has, I mean, in my opinion, unreasonable demands. Like, he's a very threatening, believable villain. He scares me. Like, you can tell Jason Bateman would be very ill-equipped to battle this guy if it came to it. He's much more powerful than him, the drug lord. Oh, absolutely. Very powerful man. Very intimidating man. I loved the characters in the show. I loved the dynamics of the show. I liked a lot of things about the show now that I'm kind of uh, digesting it a little bit more. Not a lot specifically happened, but we got to catch the major, you know, we, we got to see everything unfold in this, what I think wrapped up a very first great episode of, of getting you into his story, learning about the characters, and then I think it can carry on from here and a very good way i don't know I'm, well, I'm, I'm curious myself to actually see more and kind of like you're saying i think the first episode it sets up the premise of the family it establishes where they are as a baseline and then it gets them to the ozarks gives us the whole premise of the drug cartel and like the money laundering and then the episode ends so it's like from here on out everything's set up let's just move forward with the plot i thought it was a perfect like hook to get everybody engaged and just when you think Jason Bateman might be, like, getting his, you know, shit together and, like, maybe figuring stuff out is, like I said, when he pulls over to the side of the road and just has to, like, cry. Like, you think that maybe, me specifically, I thought that maybe he was, like, didn't care about his family that much and was more interested in the work and, like, the money. But that moment showed us that, like, he does care about his kids and he, like, does feel bad about moving them across the country. Well, not across the country, from Chicago to Missouri, but I don't know. That that was like a great hook at the end of the episode for me. It made me care about him, not just care about like the story. Agreed. And just another thing about how they shot it, like you were talking about, they did a great job of showing uh, Marty in his office in Chicago, like with clients. Everything looks gray. Everything looks dark. It doesn't even look like there's lights on in the building. It's so dark and dreary that, like, you know, Marty hates his life. Like, no one is happy right now. No, because you can see clearly on screen, everything is showing you dark, depressing, gray, like, mundane. 
there were a lot of like great choices like that stylistically i thought it was very true to the nature of the show and it put me in the right mindset let's get down to the ratings in this show our drug cartel guy shows up and he demands that he get his eight million dollars within 48 hours so between Jason Bateman going to the bank and trying to, like, force them to give him his money in, uh, like, luggage bags or, uh, or him, like, bringing duffel bags to the Mexican drug dealer and them counting the money and tossing them in the back of his truck, we saw a bunch of bags filled with money. So we're rating this one on a scale of one to five bags of money. Bags of money. Ozark, uh... Produced by and uh, directed by Jason Bateman, specifically this episode. It's, I'm going into the show, I saw Jason Bateman and serious drug stuff, and I'm like, you know what, I don't know what to expect from this. Really, it was way out there in the open, and I'm incredibly surprised and pleased by what I watched, and I'm super crazy intrigued about where things are going to go from what we were introduced to in just the first episode here. Jason Bateman did a fantastic job playing this uh, Marty character, which I love his terrible attitude. I guess like I can, I get it. Like it's a character everybody can really relate to because, or I shouldn't say everybody relate to, but it's a character you can at least relate to. He feels very human in the fact that like he's a older dude trying to get by and do things and be happy. But you know, obviously things are in a way in that a little bit, but you see in the very end that this character is very emotionally uh, troubled and uh, he's kind of working his way through shit and it's like you're along there for the ride with his family and a crazy drug cartel scenario of money laundering that you just don't see coming, in, but you appreciate it. I don't know. It's, uh, it's a very fun show as far as watching. I was very entertained um, I just was drawn into everything going on and, and quite frankly, I want to see more of it. Um, everything was very well produced and, uh, everyone, all the other actors and characters played the roles well, but, um, and especially the, uh, the individual, uh, the drug cartel man. I don't know. Very pleased with the show. Four and a half bags of money. Uh, one, one of the bags is half full of five bags of monies. For Ozark, um, I'll just explain the reasoning for, uh, well, how like how I felt about the show, um, you know, I felt like it, it really does show a c- certain levels of potential. Um, you know, Jason Bateman, although uh, you know, somewhat impressed by his performance, um, not you know entirely convinced yet uh, regarding um, his um, this show. So the one thing I do like, I know it's we're only judging the um, the, the pilot episode for it, but very much intrigued by um, a setting based in the Ozarks. Always kind of secretly myself wanted a show like this due to the fact that like i felt like the ozark was a really cool setting that you know people kind of you know really ignored so i'll give it a three out of five money bags this show surprised me a little bit i am admittedly a fan of jason bateman but i didn't know how much i was gonna like this show i didn't really know that much about it going like leading up to it i was intrigued by the premise but i was like cautiously optimistic i would say I ended up loving this show. I thought that Jason Bateman like really became this Marty character. I felt like Jason Bateman had been that character for like 20 years in that marriage. Like he was believable to me in that role. Oh, no, wait, actually, this is just a reality show about Jason Bateman's life. Uh, Genuinely, like 
I could feel like the tension between him and his wife. It seemed genuine. And I, I loved our villain so much, like so much of a lot of shows like is hinged on whether the villain is good and captivating and like believable. This guy was scary. He's like a believable threat. He's acted well. And he like, he's not like strictly a bad guy necessarily. Like he's a bad guy in so much as he needs this thing to be done. So he's going to be harsh about how he gets it done. He's not like necessarily just evil for the sake of being evil. You know what I mean? Like he's a businessman, like morally with, 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 uh, uncertain moral intentions. Yeah. Like you could say morally, oh, drug dealing is bad, but like as the leader of a drug cartel, I wouldn't say he's necessarily like a monster. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if he didn't kill you, you'd have a beer with him. He, he just was like, he was a captivating villain. He got me on board with the show and between him and Jason Bateman, those that's like our main lead and our main villain. And I liked both of them a lot in this show. And I thought it was shot. Well, it was very like minimalist. Like it, there wasn't a lot happening. It was a slow burn. Kind of like you mentioned, Matt, not a whole lot happened in this first episode, but I felt like we got a lot of character development. Exactly. Not a lot happened, but it feels like it was packed full of shit that carries weight well and that's what i'm looking for i want character development and i want a slow burn and that's exactly what this was and there was never like a bunch of like uh score or background music or anything i like this show so much more than i thought i was going to i'm giving it five out of five bags of money Ooh. the bank is open and uh you're gonna withdraw all the monies five out of five i loved this show i'm gonna watch this whole show I will, uh, I'll watch it for a bit and see what happens. If it continues to be as good as it is, I might have to watch all of it. The last show we watched was Raven's Home on Disney. Sure, she can see the future, but she never saw all this coming. Ten years after That's So Raven aired its final episode, Raven Simone is back in Raven's Home. Best friends Raven and Chelsea, both divorced mothers, are now raising their children in a house together. Their house is turned upside down when they realize one of Raven's children, Booker, has inherited the same psychic abilities as his mother. Hilarity ensues as Raven and Booker's visions collide, but no matter the situation, they figure everything out together as one big happy family. Guys, what did you think of Raven's home? Their visions never collided. Not in this first episode, he just realized his powers in the first episode. Well, shit. That's going to be leading down the road she didn't even know he had powers so in the you first need to episode. watch all of that so right there i'm sorry raven's home yeah raven's you gotta watch home. the whole thing it's gonna be a slow burn just like ozark well we're first tipped up to uh you know what i you know what i haven't heard in a long time filmed in a live studio audience uh... which i was skeptical about they said it was filmed in front of a live studio audience we then saw the children run through like three different sets yeah. And it sounded like a piped in laugh track. So I'm yeah. skeptical if it's laugh in front of a live sure. audience or not. Maybe live audience right in the Fact home. Fact check. I mean, they Snopes said that it. shit. They said it. So I want to take it at face value, but I'm skeptical. I'm incredibly skeptical that, I mean, maybe 10% was live studio audience. I'm not even like, maybe they nothing. They're just lying to me. So I heard that and I was like, maybe after watching the show. No, you're lying to my fucking face. There, this show. So it's on the Disney Channel. Is this show for kids or I, is it for adults? I kept saying while we were watching it, 
this show is supposed to be for children. Is it though? And it was so <laughs> focused on Raven and her friend Chelsea. Like there were whole scenes where it was just long between those two and no children were present. And I kept thinking I kept family humor. <laughs> I kept thinking are kids going to like this? I don't know. The 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 first the first joke we're introduced to is Raven talking about her bits and pieces cuz everyone's in the bathroom showing off their bits and pieces. They're not showing them off. While the son Booker is going to take a shower in a swimsuit so that nobody can see his bits and pieces. And then the reveal is that Raven's been in the shower the whole time. And she says, if you don't get out of here, you're going to see my bits and pieces. And of course, the kids are going, ah, mommy's nipples. Great start to the show. <laughs> I have to say, I did not like this show, but the girl who plays Naya, Raven's daughter, is a good actress. She wasn't bad. She was good. The kids were actually the kids were actually the best part of the show. And that's the most frustrating <laughs> thing. If it focused more on the kids, I think this show would be a lot better. The amount of focus paid to Raven herself, which obviously they're going to do it. Obviously, it's called Raven's Home. She left the view. She left her job on the view to do the show, bad, which is Raven, insane. Raven, bad idea. What are you doing? And it's just too much attention paid to her. If it was just about the kids, I would like it so much more because the kids themselves were not bad. No, I would agree 100% with I that. I really loved our youngest character kid. I, and I don't know how old that kid must have been. He, you know, maybe eight. I have no idea old how Levi. old any kid is. Yeah, I can't. I couldn't tell correspond age to a child and how they behave. But one of the kid actors uh, who played the character Levi, he was Chelsea's adorably son. fan. Chelsea's son fantastically adorable delivered lines wonderfully i thought i was not gonna like him but he ended up being one of the more likable characters oh yeah he's just a little sarcastic asshole i loved him run me of me see i i (laughs) I would agree with that statement as well uh blazer um you know one of the i was a big fan of uh the um one of the main characters booker actually oh yeah isaac brown and um their uh their neighborhood friend um played by uh i think her name is sky cats here Oh, you know, the, the very impressive. The, uh, the neighborhood uh, friend the, bothered the, me though. The, the thuggy, the <laughs> thuggy was, girl. Yeah, her hairstyle. There was something going on with her she hairstyle. She was annoyingly Kid Rock is her dad. Likeable. Kid Rock, she, Kid Rock, Kid Rock's daughter. She looked like she was in a young adult film set in a dy- in a dystopian future. She had like <laughs> one side of her hair was long, and the other side had like two, two braids. braids, but then also like a Skrillex uh flop of hair going over the braids i was confused by that <laughs> she was alternative and edgy she had a good ad- she had a good spirit to her though all the kids were fantastic they're just they're just having a good old fun time and then anytime you see raven come on stage or chelsea chelsea would make some stupid comments or jokes or noises and hand gestures which were just kind of annoying and stupid in the mm-hmm. long run and raven was um really striving really trying to get some attention mm. ooh Oof. Well, I feel like for her, it's still that's still Raven. You know what I mean? She's trying. Like, she's trying fucking hard. You can tell. You can tell that. Like I'm the star. Raven is goofy. That's the the engine that drives the show. But I was so much more interested in the kids. A hundred percent. Like the kids are making the kids make jokes, and then Raven comes in with like a a, a bigger punchline, and then stupid music plays, and Chelsea laughs, and we're done. Like. We've ended on so many times where, like, there was, like, a, a joke about one of the kids, like, had different pants because he got stuck in a trombone, our Levi character, and Raven come, chimes in and was like, oh, that, that happened to me once. Okay. And then it just cues his music and everyone's laughing. It's like, that, that wasn't 
funny though like and that's the question is like <laughs> are fans of that so raven gonna tune into raven's home i can't imagine they're going to because they're old now so it, like the fact that children, we watch the show is still you know amazing let alone so it's a little baffling so yeah. my, my point is are children gonna be interested in this show because i not don't know think who raven fans is. of that so raven are gonna be tuning unless in. they're like playing a bunch of reruns on the disney channel or some shit can i just point out my favorite minor addition to uh this show please yes. do um you guys will know him as i believe stanley hudson oh yes on um, nbc's the office but um uh leslie david baker um playing the i believe minor saying is the principal of uh the school that all the children attend. What a, an invaluable addition. Wonderful. Minor asset to that. The fact that his character is the one that uh, suspends Raven from being at their children's school. Like, our character Raven is suspended from a ch- their, her child's school from acting inappropriate. What sort of fucking example is this supposed to set for anything? Like, what, st- what standards are we having for anything right now? Disney Channel? What's going on? What is this? It's a pile of trash. Yeah, I was very intrigued by how <laughs> there's so many, um, you know, like I would say at least PG thirteen, um, like humor, suggestive humor. Guys, I teased this before we started recording, but I got a little behind the scenes drama. I got to clue you guys in on. Oh shit! Lay it on me, bro. I don't know how familiar you guys are with that. So Raven, but um, it was on the, the it was on the, the main three characters of the show were. Uh, Raven, her friend Chelsea, who is on this show, and then another character who is mysteriously absent from this show. Corey in the house? No. Shit. Eddie, their friend Eddie, who was also the same age as Raven and Chelsea. Do you have a picture of him pulled up right now? Yes. Oh, please show it to me because I can't remember. The guy on the left. Oh, I do remember him. Orlando Brown is his name. Remember that? And I Vaguely, to, yes. I want to tell you guys that the reason he's not on the show is because he's been recast by another actor, a YouTube star, because they don't want Eddie on the show because he was arrested for domestic abuse and drug possession, and they don't want anything to do with him. So when they announced that this YouTube guy had replaced the char- had replaced Orlando Brown as the character of Eddie, he came out and said, Orlando Brown came out and said, I wish her nothing but the best, uh, talking to Raven. I think that that would disappoint many fans, but it's all for the greater good. Everything is okay. Everything's great on my side. The fans are going to rip into Raven's ass. She's far off into another land mentally where she made a decision she felt was better for her. I love her still. I'm still in love with her ass. And she's running from the D. Because he claimed that they had had a sexual relationship while filming the show. Oh my god. He's insane. This is too much fun. I had to share this with you guys because I was researching Raven's home and I found out there was all this behind the scenes drama. <laughs> There's uh, a scene where she's hitting um, tennis balls with her ass cheeks. Very, very uh, sexualized. That was an odd choice. Thing like unnecessarily. It's it's. There's nothing about that that needed to happen. It's just a Raven needed some attention and let's let's show off my big booty. She also said that she was going to shave because she was there were a lot of single men. Uh, oh, at school. Yeah, yep. got a lot of. Yeah, a lot of single guys at school with their kids. And I said, again, that makes sense. This is a show for children. It would be OK if it was funny, but it's not funny. Can I tell you one thing that this show did great? Just like in that. So Raven, we had some classic psychic vision bait and switches. <laughs> Raven has a vision 
she thinks it means one thing and she's like oh i'm going to i'm going to prevent it from happening obviously then it turns out the vision meant something else and oh, it shit. still happens oh, despite no. her best efforts who could have seen that one coming and now that Booker has the ability to see into the future, it happens to both of them. Please don't tell me it's the same thing that happens to him, too. This, that was exactly like that, so Raven. I'm going to be able to stop this. I had a vision of the future. Turns out, things didn't happen the way they were expecting. I admire that they kept that, like, true. But at the same time, it's still a formula. I mean, they could have bettered up the formula maybe a little bit more. Maybe In made it way? more intricate. I don't know, like psychic like intricate plot lines that involve psychic visions over the course of multiple episodes with true character development children you know what it's never too early to start your kids on content that doesn't rot their fucking brain i'm sorry get them off the disney channel have them watch uh geography channel national geographic yeah the geography channel (laughs) let's get down to the ratings like i mentioned the thing that this show probably did the best was they had some great bait and switches that all stem from the psychic visions you know raven has those psychic visions now turns out booker has those psychic visions and they just do not turn out the way they expected so we're rating this one on a scale from one to five psychic visions first off i just just want to say thank you so much for having me on the show it's been an enormous pleasure um to uh to chat with you guys about um said shows oh thanks for coming on the show oh absolutely you know my pleasure it's a it's a it's a commitment you're now one of us and you're never gonna not be quite way to make it weird quite the honor to live up to yeah thanks for making it weird (laughs) one of us but um i will give um raven's home which um glaring errors and um questionable decision making um (laughs) regarding the show uh, but all in all, I felt I feel like some of this will be ignored, and um, some of the people won't understand what's going on, especially the children. So I'll still give it a solid three out of five psychic visions. Wow, <laughs> I, that's wait that, what? That's shocking because I feel like Arwong has been like the toughest grader all night, <laughs> and then all of a sudden you gave Raven's home a three out of five psychic visions amazing it, what it, a twist it, it, it suits what uh what it's meant for did you did you have a good time watching the show yeah All just right. like will on tnt this podcast ended with a dramatic twist oh looks like these old disney stars raven and whatever whoever the chelsea girl's name is who cares who she is annalise vanderpool yeah she hasn't been in anything she's not a noteworthy in anything so you take these two ex uh, nothings and try to throw them into a show to try to build entertainment value and make money. It's all about making the money with the names. And I don't know what they're trying to accomplish here, um, but they are the worst parts of this show, which is a sad thing because they should have brought something to the table here, considering they are the stars and they're the ones uh, showing off in the sense. And uh, everything that they did was uh, God awful. The, the children were the only, uh, possible quality of the show that made it worthwhile um i thought they were all enjoyable people as far as their characters are concerned um as well as the actors did a pretty good job um most most noteworthy is chelsea's son the uh uh, whatever the fuck his name is levi he was funny i liked him he seemed like to have the most intelligence out of any person on this show as far as the characters are concerned and probably as human beings um raven's home gets a very disappointing one 
out of five psychic visions. Only one. The show was bad. <laughs> it's on the Disney Channel, which I haven't watched in years. It was a delight to see that the Disney Channel title card. I was like, oh, I wonder how things are going to be different. Yeah, you're ready to watch a children's show. We haven't watched a lot of children's shows for this podcast, but whenever we do, I try to look at it through the lens of a child and think, oh, you know what I, I look at it from the critical end and then I look at it. Okay. Let's take into account a child watching this. And that's my biggest problem with the show. I can't imagine a child enjoying the show. Absolutely not. There was so much focus paid to Raven and Chelsea and apparently the guy they recast as Eddie is going to be Raven's love interest. We're going to have a romantic like plot line between Raven and a guy. Who is this show for? It's for children, right? Like, I was asking myself that question the whole time. Bizarre. Bizarre. Especially since it looks like they got some good child actors. Like I said, I thought the girl playing Naya was the best. And I thought the other child actors were good, too. And I'm usually like pretty critical of child actors. I thought all these kids were good. And if it would have just been focused on them more, I think it would have been better. I was going to give it one out of five psychic visions, too. But I think the the fact that the child actors were good, I'm going to bump it up a little bit higher. I'm going to give it two out of five psychic visions. Because if it was just about the kids, it would be a much better show. The fact that there is so much screen time given to Raven brings it down considerably. Oh, you betcha. So that pretty much wraps it up for this episode. You've been listening to Too Much Content. If you like this episode, subscribe to us on iTunes or SoundCloud or Google Play and follow us on Twitter at Too Much Cast. Once again, I'd like to thank our special guest, Arwong, for joining us. And, uh, you know, you're welcome back anytime. Thanks for having me. So with that, I'm going to wrap this episode up. You've been listening to Too Much Content. I, of course, am Andrew Blazer. And for Matt Helm and Arwong, we will see you next time. Farewell, travelers of the seventh dimension. I will see you again in approximately the future.